Drinking with Authors contains adult themes and subjects, including discussions involving alcohol. We ask if you are drinking along to please drink and listen responsibly. Enjoy the show. Oh, there I am. There you are. Are you better now? Okay. Cool. Okay. Uh, welcome to Drinking with Authors. I am your host, Erica Lance. Uh, with me, as always, is not actually with me today because he had prior engagement. So I asked for the lovely substitute co-host of... I am J.M. Paquette. Hello. Hello. She was our first guest, so I thought we'll bring her back. And then today we have the amazing, the titillating, the um, super fantastic Tomorrow Show. So, welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, most welcome for being here. I have to start off. Oh, we always talk about what we're drinking. So, what are you drinking? I am drinking Prosecco. Oh, cool. Very delicious, very dry. And you have also, I just, for the listener's benefit, you've also put a strawberry in there and it looks delicious. Oh, thank you. I always think there's supposed to be fruit and champagne and Prosecco and stuff. I am back to still drinking my cucumber and lime kettle vodka with, I discovered cucumber and lime Perrier. So it's just basically a festival in my mouth. And uh, the lovely Jen has a little bit of a problem. I'm drinking Coke because I'm allergic to alcohol. Yeah, so least drunk person ever on the podcast, besides maybe Aaron Greenwood, which was fun. Okay, to start with, I got the opportunity to meet you many, many years ago when you were first beginning as a novelist, and you have been an inspiration to me. But let's go back in time, because you're actually an AP writer. I am an AP writer. I have been writing for my day job for many years. I was a newspaper reporter for a long time. Uh, in the Northeast. And then I've been in Florida about 20 years, actually. Um, I was with the St. Petersburg Times when it was then called the St. Petersburg Times. Now it's the Tampa Bay Times. And for the last uh, 11 years, I've been with the Associated Press. And then I started to write fiction about five and a half years ago. What made you decide to take the leap? Because there's a big difference between obviously being a journalist and writing and then fiction writing. Yeah, I've always wanted to write a book. I mean, I always wanted to write a romance novel. I've loved romance since I was a teenager. I love sexy books <laughs> since I was a teenager. So um, I just took the plunge. I mean, I'll be honest, part of it was um, reading Fifty Shades of Grey and the uh the rise of self-publishing that had a great influence on me, not in a, in a craft way, but just in a, well, if other people can do it and it can be be successful, successful. um, then maybe I can too. Well, we, we learned the answer to that was yes, you can too. So your first book that I read has been renamed and actually Jen has it. So she's in the middle of it, which is hot shade, but it has been renamed to dirty lies. Yes. Okay, so tell us a little bit about that journey into Hot Shade. Well, that was my first book, and actually, even though I initially started out to wanting to be self-published and and to publish myself, indie publishing, I use the terms indie publishing and self-publishing kind of interchangeably, Um, I ended up going with a small publisher, which was a really great experience. I got great editing. Um, I did not like the title, Hot Shade. Um, so that, you didn't title it. That. I didn't title it. That was not something I don't, I, that doesn't seem like something that, um, publishers, sometimes I think they take the author's title. My original title was uncovered actually. 
Um, oh but that, that's but, better than hot shade as yeah, well. Yeah, that. But th- there were a lot of other books with the title uncovered. I mean, romance titles often get repeated, um, so I think they wanted something different, and I understand that. But I got the rights to that book back. My wonderful agent put a clause in saying if I didn't sell a certain threshold, that I would get the rights back within a year, and so I did. And that's when I retitled it to Dirty Lies. So that's one thing for authors out there listening. Make sure, whether you're doing it yourself or with an agent, you put clauses like that. Because that is one of the side effects, unfortunately, of publishing, is they can change a lot of things themselves. Yes, and they can they can also put covers on that maybe you don't like. I, I wasn't thrilled with my first cover. It, I mean, it wasn't a bad cover. It probably didn't fit the market as well as it maybe should have. Um the editing I got this was top notch. This is the first cover, That's right? not the first cover. No, no, okay. that wasn't the first cover. That I actually there was a brief period where I, when I got the rights back, I recovered it with the same title because I wasn't sure at the time whether Amazon would accept would allow me to keep my reviews and the ISBNs and everything if I changed the title. No, that makes sense. So that's sort sort of part of all being an indie author is that you have to figure all this business stuff out. Yeah, business stuff is um, not the fun part about writing. It is not the fun part. So, tell us about Hot Shade. What, it, Jen? I just thought it was so funny that, that as a Floridian, I'm reading it, and, and one of your characters seems to be based on a John Morgan of Morgan & Morgan fame, which if you live in Florida, you can't exist without hearing those commercials. Do you do that often where you take like a real figure and then tweak them a little bit and throw them in a story? I do, I do. I mean, a lot of my, you know, the... Hot Shade started with a, a scene where a, a plane crashes on a beach and injures a person. And that happened in real life. Only the people died on the beach. It was a small plane crash. And so initially, this book was very much of a romantic suspense. It is a romantic suspense, but it was a little... Um, and this story I'm telling right now is important for reasons currently in my life. That's why I'm explaining no, it you can explain away so, the cool thing is this is your podcast you could go left and we were like yes that sounds great so so basically i started out writing the, I, I started writing hot shade initially as a um as an entry into harlequin's so you think you can write contest and that they don't hold it anymore but harlequin had this very famous contest and you know to get published with harlequin which is a big deal harlequin is a big deal in the romance world and their books are well edited so i submitted my first draft of what was then called Uncovered about, and the, and the hero who is on the run from the mafia sees a plane crash on the beach and a mother and daughter die. And the people in the comments, the romance readers were like, oh my God, you cannot do that. You cannot have a mother and daughter die You're in a romance. You're killing people. So I softened it a lot. And so it turns out that in the book that I published, the guy, it, was, it was a guy, it wasn't a mother and daughter, and he was just sort of nicked in the arm by like a propeller. Um, wow. So that would fast forward, <laughs> fast forward five years, and I decide, and I'm struggling with where I'm going with my fiction writing for a whole variety of reasons that we can talk about. And I'm thinking, maybe I need to write a mystery. And so I just actually finished my first actual true mystery. There's a slight romance, but my actual true mystery, and my agent is about to shop it around. It's like an actual murder mystery. Um, well, that had to be exciting, yeah, though, to do that. Yeah, it, it was very exciting, and it felt very good. It, it, when I first said, told my, my in-real-life friends that I was writing fiction, they were like, oh, you're going to write crime fiction, right? 
because I've been a crime reporter, you know, for most of my life, for the, almost the entire time I've been in Florida, I've covered all manner and sorts of crimes. I've witnessed 13 executions. I mean, I've, I'm very familiar with crime. And so my initial response was, oh, no, I'm not writing about crime. No, 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 no. That's too dark. That's too close to what I do in real life. I need a break. And then I ended up taking a sabbatical last year, and I realized maybe I really should be writing about crime. Maybe that's a better fit for me fiction-wise. So are you looking at possibly stepping away from the romance genre? Or are you looking at doing both? As somebody, as we, we, we know, and I've talked about on this podcast, I do both. I do, <laughs> I do erotica, though. I don't do romance. I'm going to say that because mine is clearly not a romance trope type books. But um, I do horror as well because I like both of those and they're two totally different styles. Are you looking at continuing romance or, um, or you don't know perhaps. yet? Perhaps. I, I publish, right now my main publishing venue, I mean, I do publish... I have a series on Amazon and on uh, Apple Books and, and you know, self-published widely. But my the majority of my books now are on something called Wattpad, which we can talk about. Um, and I find that it's easier. The marketing there is easier because, A, they do a lot of the marketing. It's almost like a publisher. It's more of like a serial site. Um, I, I'm not a great businesswoman. I'm just not. And you need to be a really successful indie romance author, you need to be a good businesswoman. You need to have spreadsheets and you need to have that level of organization of advertising and marketing. And I, it, it doesn't, that's not how my brain works, unfortunately. So that's why I'm really looking to uh, be traditionally published in mystery and probably keep my romance stuff to Wattpad. No, that make. I mean, that totally makes sense. I can say because, um, Having started finally my small publishing arm, it is, it is a business. And I think a lot of times people don't talk about the business because all of us hope that you put out a book and it's like The Fault in Our Stars or, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey. Not not that kind of book, but I meant the sales of that book. Sure. Because I hate that book. But, um, uh, you know, we all want that, but that's not what generally happens to 99.999 whatever percent of authors. You don't get that lightning in a bottle and it just goes and everybody buys your stuff you have to work at it so I think it's it's interesting you say that because I think a lot of authors struggle with that that part of it is that it becomes a business and you have to have a business of marketing yourself outside of actually writing books yes absolutely I have no issue with self-promotion I'm I'm a shameless self-promoter but to me, that's different than actual marketing and advertising. And the people that are doing best, especially in the romance genre, I'm not, I can't speak for any other genre because I don't study it or write it, but the people in the indie romance genre who are doing best have a marketing background or they have a spouse that is with a marketing background or they have a business background and they're very savvy in that. Or there's also this, they're flat out internet marketers who are hiring ghost writers to write for them. And that's very popular. Um, and I can't compete with somebody who's spending $1,000 a day in ads on Facebook. I just can't, nor do I want to. I mean, that's sort of the other component of this. I mean, I'm really transparent, so ask me anything about money. Um, I spent a lot of money last year on ads, and I found that, yeah, I made a profit, but is it a profit that would, that would replace my day job? No, it, it, it isn't, not when you look at benefits and health care. Um, and also, how much money do I really want to give to Facebook in this climate? Like, 
I think that's a sort of a philosophical question that everyone has to answer for themselves. Personally, if I'm not in a position to, I don't think I should because I don't want to support um, Facebook financially because of what they've done overall. No, I think that's totally fine. And again, this is a freewheeling podcast that is sponsored by nobody but me. So you can say whatever you'd like to say. You know, it's fine because it's actually interesting because all three of us at the table here write um, in the romance genre, the um, that sort of thing. Jen has a vampire romance. Hers goes more fantasy-based. But um, I think that's really interesting. And I think it's interesting you're making the leap. Did you find when you were writing that um, the mystery book... Was it difficult at all? Because we've talked a little bit about, you know, you say you, you've covered 13 executions. I don't I don't think people can even imagine the weight. Like, people can watch movies, whatever, but in sitting there and watching another human being, regardless if the human being deserved it or not, getting into that whole political spectrum of killing people, but um, watching somebody die right in front of you, that's a, that's a huge thing. And you went down when Katrina hit some of the places and stuff like you've been to some really bad situations. Mm -hmm. Did you find when you were writing this mystery novel, that was it easy or difficult? Were there things to get over for yourself to do that? Because I obviously write horror, but I haven't like been at a lot of dead body scenes. Like to go, this is what I do all the time. Um, Actually. So the mystery that I wrote would probably be classified more as like a crime caper or a cozy mystery in the vein of more like almost like Carl Hyacin. It's more of a funny, light mystery. So there's not, in the, in the tradition of a cozy mystery like Ag- Agatha Christie, there's not a lot of gore. Um, there's no swearing, which is difficult. And there's no sex, which is super difficult after what I've written. I, I couldn't fucking do that. It was really, gonna... <laughs> it was, that was the hardest part. It was like, well, wait a minute. Why can't she just give him a blowjob in the car right there? Like, no, 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 no. I have to just <laughs> dial it back. I love this contemplation. What can I do besides oral here? Right. Oral is my first thing. Right. Like they can't just, you know, like deep throat each other's tongues at the end. He has to just gently sweep her hair back and tuck it behind her ear. Um, So. (laughs) And door closed. (laughs) So. And when I first wrote the first draft, I was like, oh, my God, this is shit. (laughs) (laughs) And then and then I like went back and and. Like I, I, t- I took a month off of it and then I went back and read it and I was like, you know what? This is actually like, all right. Like I'm liking this. And I just had a, a beta reader say like, you were born to write cozy mysteries, which is sort of the strangest thing because I have written some of the filthiest books ever. But now I, I also, I, and, and I don't know, this is going to be really out of left field. I also started writing romance and erotic romance when I was going through perimenopause. And now I am out of perimenopause and I'm menopausal. I'm 50 years old. And I think that there's like a difference, like, like somehow in perimenopause, my, my libido like jacked up and I wrote a lot of sex and now it's like, oh, I can write cozy mysteries and I'm going to write about tea and baked goods. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting that you say that though, because, um, do you, when you sat down and you wrote the cozy mystery, um, you're, you're a plotter, right? I'm you're, very, and I heavily plotted this okay. more than any other book. I plotted by the chapter. You know, it's interesting because I started working on a novel myself. Uh, it's with serial killers and I actually have my boyfriend's help because 
I pants all my romance books, like absolutely pants my romance books, no problem. And short stories, I can pants short stories. But I was starting to work on this and I'm like, no, no, I actually need every detail. I have to have the detail. I have to have a lot of that stuff. So you were doing that. Did you ever once think I'm, I, I'm gonna actually make this harder? Like make this tougher or grittier or go down the path of the gore and like, I guess up the rating. Cause we just right. talked about the door closed. So we have a, you know, a PG rating probably right. for the book. Did you think about upping it to PG 13 or not this book? No. Um, and, and it's, but it's possible that, that it's all a process for me. Like I started with romance and I may continue to write it and maybe I read some cozies and then it's very possible that this is not my last stop. Like I have long thought about writing either noir or, or Southern Gothic which obviously those two are extremely dark. Mm. But I think I need to kind of work up to it. I also want to be able to have the writing chops to do it. Like, I don't think I could have written this mystery five years ago. Um, I think that I whatever I've learned in the five years to, to now have helped me write the mystery in like a logical way that it's not like a total hot mess, that things make sense. Because in a mystery, things kind of have to make sense. Um, in, a, in ways that romance relies on emotion, mystery has to rely more on logic, I think. At least that's my Well, take professor on it. of literature, what do you have to say about that? Oh, she's absolutely right. That's usually the difference <laughs> between the two of them. Go ahead. No. Oh. Um, you can I, jump in and ask anything you want. No, you made comments about pants, and now I'm just cracking jokes in my head, and I can't stop. I'm about sorry. pants? You or? said you were pantsing, and I was like, no, your characters never wear pants. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a true story. They don't ever wear pants. Um, I, not to get political, but do you have thoughts on the Romance Writers of America debacle? Um, well, I can say that <clears throat> I was probably one of the first people to withdraw her Rita entries. Okay. Um, I was appalled. Mm -hmm. I have not, you know, I was a Rita finalist, so I, um, but I've not been an RWA member for the entirety of my romance career. I have had doubts about RWA for various reasons over the years. So my withdrawal from the contest and from RWA wasn't, I I guess it, it wasn't that shocking to me or anybody else like I you know from the get-go I had issues with accessibility of the conference and how expensive it was and how it's usually held in very expensive places so that right there um, means that certain people of certain class levels and probably certain races were not able to attend I felt it was pretty exclusionary and pretty focused on um traditional publishing at a time when most romance authors are not traditionally published. So that always kind of, to use like an antiquated phrase, stuck in my craw, quite frankly. And then when I was a finalist, a Rita finalist, um, they charged me $50 to bring my husband to the, to the actual ceremony. And it wasn't a banquet. It wasn't a dinner. We didn't get drinks. It was just, I, I just felt like, ugh. It just left a bad taste in my mouth. So when this all happened, I was like, you know what, I'm out. And I I appreciate anyone and I understand why people would stay and try to make it better. I know that there's lots of people who have gotten a lot of value out of RWA. I've certainly met local RWA people who are wonderful. Um, <clears throat> but for me, it hasn't given me the value that's worth staying in and paying that kind of money to uphold that kind of racism and homophobia, honestly. 
Well, you know what's interesting is um, I was talking to somebody the other day, and it might have been you, Adam, actually. We were talking about something, and no, it was uh, it was another friend of mine, and he was mentioning, so him and a friend went to Vegas. I promise this is going to arrive where we're going to go. I'm Always. digressing. I maybe drank almost all of my drink. Okay, but um, they were going to go see David Copperfield, and then they were supposed to have a meet and greet. And they get there, and they're told, after they paid for the tickets, everything, there's no meet and greet, blah, blah, blah. So they went on Twitter and said, you know, it was a great show, but we were supposed to do a meet and greet. It really sucks because they didn't tell us till after the show completed, you're not getting this thing. And they went to dinner, you know, and um, David Copperfield's manager called the restaurant, uh, called them, because they tagged where the restaurant they were in, called the restaurant, had them find their table, said, if you can come right now, you can meet him. And had him, like, they gave him a half an hour. The waiter held the table for them, so the food and everything. They went, they got their meet and greet and everything. And he said, he was like, wow. And I said, the the thing about today's society, good or bad, because there's some bad to it, is you do not get an opportunity as a company to really be shitty to people without it being brought out. Like, we're in a, a position, and we're we're also not in a position where things like RWA and stuff is the be-all, end-all, and only thing that exists for romance writers anymore. So when you're in that kind of position, you have to change your view, because you don't get to play. I get to be big, 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 big brother, using words, and do this anymore, because you can't. Right. Because there's too many people going, ah, no. And just the subsequent, I don't know that they're going to recover from this easily. Like, I don't to me, they, they're going to so. have to rebrand and do this differently. But there's a lot yeah. of people coming out now that have conferences and stuff that support that are more indie, that are not um, so much genre boxing, you know, Harlequin, you know, man, woman, romance kind of stuff. Because to your point, a lot of the indie authors are going, screw that, that's not what I'm doing. Right, right. And if you look at, like, for instance, I think Amazon classifies it as urban fiction, you know, and, and by that they mean African-American genre fiction. Sometimes it's romance, sometimes it's not. But a lot of the people, like some, astro- I saw some studies, some astronomical amount are indie because they couldn't get published traditionally. So they took it indie and there, there's a lot of money to be made in it. So obviously, but were they served by RWA? No, they weren't. And I don't think RWA will, I, I mean, it, it may survive in some weakened form, but they should have, from the get-go, they should have hired a really good crisis communications firm, and they did not. Like, they should have hired, I was thinking of people that I've met throughout the years, like BP oil spill communications or Ringling Circus communications people, th- that level of crisis communications. Yeah, and when firms don't do that, they pretty much go completely, anyway, down the toilet. They're going to be gone. They thought okay. they were untouchable. So let's talk about your books. How many books total have you published under the romance? Because I have, I have three in my hot little hands, but how many total are there? Um, it's hard to say because some of them, it seems like I've published a lot, but some of them are serial novels. So there's, you know, like six installments in one. And so that's actually one book as opposed to six books. Um, so I've probably published about a dozen I would say a, a solid dozen, not including some novellas. And one of those serial books was Tell Me Your Story, right? Tell Me a Story, Tell yes. Me a Story. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that title. I super love that title. What was, um, so one thing that was interesting is you actually have a reporter in your first story, Hot yes. Shade, mm-hmm. 
the female is a reporter, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I thought was really interesting, too, that I loved about the book is that um, character is not size six. She's not size six. Most of my characters are not size six, actually. Um, I have a few characters that are, are, are tiny, um, but most of the characters are not size six. I But specifically, this book, Dirty Lies, Dirty Lies. Hot Shade, um, and then the second book in the series, which is Dirty Secrets, uh, the heroines are both larger. And I wish I had brought Dirty Secrets because I have this great, like my favorite scene is where she's kind of making out with the hero who's like this former Marine and he's super hot, but he's kind of a bigger guy too. And he's like, and she's talking about her size and she's younger. So she's a little insecure. And he's like, do you know what size I think you are? And she's like, what? And he's like, size sexy. Oh, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Size sexy. (laughs) Right. She's like, I just got hands. Nobody can see it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, she's, but, and of course she melts all over the place and is like, yes, but I don't know. Like, I just don't, I try to, even if they're not plus size, they're curvy or they're normal sized people. Like even, even in this book right here, all I want you can't really tell from the cover because covers are a pain in the ass to get actual people. Yeah. Um, real people don't re- do covers. Real people don't <laughs> yeah. do covers. Um, she is an Instagram influencer, but she's like a bigger Instagram influencer, and so she travels the world looking hot and awesome, but she's a bigger person. Wow. Okay, can, so... Can I ask about your, your other female in here, Annalisa? Because mm-hmm. th- I thought it was very interesting what you did with her in terms of that she's, she's a cutter. Mm-hmm. So where... Talk about that. Um, you know, I was... Now that I've published it, I'm, I'm, convi- I, I, I'm, I'm conflicted in some ways because it is a trope of the crazy woman, and it's, it's a problematic trope. I will, ad- I will admit to that. It's a problematic trope. Um, it, 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 the initial book was not that way. Okay. And it, that was part of the rewrite that my publisher wanted was more external conflict. And we came up with that. Okay. Do you have other characters that deal with mental illness issues or? Um, I have other characters. I have heroines who have anxiety issues, definitely anxiety and panic issues. Um, probably because that's something that I've experienced in my life. Um, the book that I just published last week that's part of this series, I don't have a paperback of it, um, it's called All I Desire. The heroine has um, some recurring, I think she would say it's not PTSD, but it is. Um, she was bullied and abused by a, by a high school boyfriend. And she's 30, and it lingers in her mind. Um, and it, so it turns out that her love interest, who is this wonderful cinnamon roll awesome guy is the half-brother of her high school bully boyfriend. And so she has to overcome, like, what happens if you meet, like, the perfect man and he has ties to the worst part of your past? Wow. Now I have to read that. <laughs> now you have to read that? Okay. So we have to take a, a, a quick couple-second break for you listeners out there, and we will be right back with more. Hey, thank you for listening to Drinking With Authors. We wanted to let you know that if you're an aspiring author out there and you'd like to be on our podcast, you can email us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com. Or if you guys have a question, comment, want to tell us some little tidbit of interesting news, you can always direct message us or comment on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We love that you're listening. We love that you're out there. And we look forward to hearing from you. 
Um, I actually want to bring up something we talked about on the break in our super secret girl meeting. You weren't here. Um, was uh, the making of villains and um, also creating characters that you are that are not you. Like, I mean, I don't know how to say it. How is this? There's got to be a better way to say that using words. That have a different life experience than you do or that just don't look like you. Like, I'm a middle-aged white woman. Can I write a story about a Cuban-American, you know, man? Your thoughts tomorrow because you have yeah. some great ones that <clears throat> well, nobody thanks. gets to um, hurt. <laughs> well, let's see. So about the villainous or villain, I you know, most, not all of my books have an actual human being villain. Sometimes the... Sometimes the conflict is all internal. You know, I'm I'm unlovable, or he's unlovable, or there's some scar in the past. Um, but I have created some female villainesses, and I'm conflicted about that, honestly, um, because it does sometimes play into the stereotype of crazy woman, and I'm not sure that that's entirely a good thing. Um, I I do think about that often. In my first book, I definitely had that trope. I will say that when I do create that trope, I try very hard to have the heroine and any other women in the book not be extremely judgmental, not call her names, and to be sympathetic. That's how I try to balance it. Um, I don't know if it that's noticed by the readers or not. No, I think it, I mean, as a reader, and I think Jen is a reader, it is yeah. noticed that you're, yeah. The first book, your villain S, are we saying villain S, is uh, definitely uh, sympathetic. Even though she does terrible things, you explain sort of her thought process and why and justify it almost. So Thanks. And I try to make sure the heroine, once she finds out the magnitude of the villain's deeds, uh, she's also sympathetic in a way that's like, oh, well, I have sympathy for her because she's obviously has these this set of issues as opposed to, oh my God, she's a bitch mm -hmm. and she wants my man. I try to stay away from, my characters do experience jealousy, but I try to do, I, and, and I really, really have a thing when there's romance and it's like uh, the heroine feels that all other women are out to get her man and, <clears throat> um, and that all other women are threats. I, I, I sometimes tend to not, finish books like that. So I do have my heroines experience jealousy, but I also have them internally usually say, okay, it's a rational emotion, but I'm going to dial it back. And it's not the other woman's fault for being pretty sexy coming on to my man. It's not, it's not like that. Do you think that this has to do with maturity that as you've gotten older and more wise, that your treatment of jealousy has matured as well? I mean, I've always felt that. I, I, I don't, I've never written fiction with, you know, with the, with a heroine that's only, that that's the special girl. You know, I've never written that trope. Um, it could be maturity. I, it's something that I just, I don't hate other women and I don't want to perpetuate that. I see that a lot in, in romance novels sometimes and it's, it's troubling to me. I, I want the women in my books to lift up the other women. Like in my new series, Paradise Beach, so there's five books. In each book, the women from the prior book appear and they're all like, they all appear as like a group and they all appear as a group that's supporting each other. So like in the latest book, um, the heroine, whose name is Natalia, she goes on like this crazy blind date with 
a man, but it's like a photo shoot, like a photo shoot between strangers. But she tells her other girlfriends who are the women, the heroines in the other books. Um, and so they appear on the beach, like in disguise to like check up on her. And it's like a funny moment and they bring their dog and That's everybody's awesome. got sunglasses. So they all look out for each other and they all, um, they all support each other. And that was a really big part of that series. And, and it's really satisfying when readers say, I wish I had friends like that. Like, that's what I want readers to take away from. Unfortunately, that series has not sold. Like, books about cinnamon, like, people say they want consent, and they want respect, and they want cinnamon roll heroes, and lots of female friendships, but do they buy those books? I'm not so sure. No, and it's kind of interesting that you say that, because I think that is true. Like, we, we, it's interesting because when you get into romance and slash erotica fiction is what fantasy is the person who's reading the book, what fantasy do they want to be in? Because that's really what a lot of these are because the people that generally read romance books generally oh, are females. And most romance books that are out there, like the majority that sell statistically, which is changing, hashtag is changing, is male female relationships uh broken female to some degree male comes to be the hero but there's something wrong with him like there's obviously a formulaic way that a lot of these books do you think that ties into it is that um as much as people want to say they are you know me to hashtag me too and all this other stuff they want a different fantasy when they're reading the books sure i think that plays into it i also think that women are harder on other women and we don't than men, especially in fiction. I mean, I, you know, like in my book, Tell Me a Story, um, the heroine in the first installment, so it's a serial, so it goes on for a long time and over a period of time. Um, the first installment is very much of an erotica trope. So she meets a man and at Story Brothel, in fact, that, you know. I'll explain Story well, Brothel in a moment. So it was inspired by something that happened here in the Tampa Bay area, or not happened, but uh, an event that takes place in the Tampa Bay area. And so she meets a handsome man, and she has sex with him, and, and she's having awesome sex with this dude, and he turns out to be this rich developer dude. And she owns a bookstore, and her bookstore isn't doing well, and there's, you know, her bookstore may be sold, maybe in danger of closing, because the building is going to be sold, like everything else in Florida. And a lot of readers said to me, well, why doesn't she just tell Caleb about her problems and have him fix the problems? And it's like, okay, at that point in the story, they were just having sex. And, and all she wanted from Caleb at that moment was sex. So why would she ever let him solve her problems? But the readers felt that she was being selfish, that he, she didn't like explain and all of her troubles to Caleb, that she was being selfish and almost immature that she that a 30 year old woman a businesswoman wouldn't sort of tell the man she's sleeping with all of her troubles and then have him bail her out and have him bail her out and that was really stunning to me and and I I see, I see that again and again and 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 I do think that this might be some of the reason why I haven't part of the reason why I haven't experienced the success that I had hoped like the big success that I had hoped I don't write really vulnerable female characters um my overall philosophy is that I write difficult and selfish female characters who go after what they want, and men love them because of that, in spite of it, and 
both of those things. But I think that, you know, from somebody who similarly does not write, you know, it's interesting is somebody told me that my book was asked me if I was a feminist, which I always, I hate that question because that, whatever, labels. But it was interesting because they're like, you wrote this character that didn't, doesn't give a shit and she does not, you know, atoning to men, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, is most stereotypical romance doesn't have that. And I think that it's not that you're not as successful as you could be, is I think you're at a turning point of the industry where people are starting to realize maybe the Prince Charming, that's what I'm going to call it, sort of thing, is is not is not the way we need it to be. So I think it's you're almost a, like a little bit ahead of the wave that is coming because all of these other things that we're talking about are changing, like the the racial thing and the what is actually constituting love and you know, uh, there are a lot more like gay romances out there that didn't used to be out there before. And, you know, sure. I hope, I hope that's the case. I mean, when I first started, um, I had written the first chapter of constant craving and it's still in this book right now. And, um, I went on the Florida romance writers cruise. There's like a romance writers cruise, which is pretty awesome. And you can pitch to agents and editors and you can meet other romance authors. And it's like a four day thing and you drink and you hang out and it's really cool. And there was I'm one down for the drinking. Yeah. It's, you, it's a really, it's a really, they do it every other year and it's out of South Florida. So, um, the chapter is for the Florida romance writers, which is out of South Florida. So I went and there was an event as part of the, four days that was called Floridian Idol. And so you pitch your story to agents and editors and you read your first like chapter or page or whatever. And so I read it and every, every panelist, everybody from the agents to the editors all asked for a full. And then someone from a big five publisher came up to me later and said, well, tell me more about your book. And I said, well, it's about a newspaper publisher and her newspaper is dying and she's, you know, it's her family owned newspaper and she, you know, wants to save it. So a private equity fund guy who's her ex-boyfriend comes to her and says, if you sleep with me for 30 nights, I'll bail out your newspaper. It's an allegory for the newspaper industry, you know, Mm -hmm. like corporate America has screwed journalism. So I'll screw corporate America to save my newspaper. Right. Right. (laughs) So she looks at me. So the editor looks at me and is like, no, she looked literally, and this is like a New York editor, kind of swept her hand over the pool area and said, do you see those women out there? They like dinner parties, so they want to read about caterers. And they like gardening, so they want to read about florists. And they like baking, so they want to read about bakers. They don't want to read about a woman in a man's world. And you know what? She was kind of right. Because none of, like, that book, it's done well with a lot of ads, but it's... Is there something to the idea that that romance is escapist fiction in the idea that um, my Tolkien radar is, is screaming at me right now, but I'm going to do it. Um, oh, my because gosh. Because he, he would disagree with me vehemently on what I'm about it's to okay. say. okay. We're talking about romance. I know. Tolkien has no not, not on Move fantasy. On. But there's this idea that that when you read escapist fiction, i.e. fantasy romance, it's because you can't deal with the real world. And he, he says, no, it's the flight, uh, you know, the, the plate of the prisoner versus the flight of the deserter. You're, it's not you can't deal with reality. It's that reality sucks and you're looking for an escape. So you're daydreaming. So is it that instead of reading about um, real world situations, people still look to romance for Prince Charming? Like, I don't want to 
I say this like, you know, I went to a lot of school and I read a lot of literature and all I wanted to do when I didn't have to read for school was read something that didn't make me think. So I read like ridiculous vampire romance with like absolutely no political, social, like zero depth, you know? Absolutely. So is there some of that happening where people... Just. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. And and the reality is, and, and I've been to other conferences where editors say, you need to make your heroine vulnerable. You need to make your heroine flawed. It's like, why do we have to make the hero perfect other than the one fatal flaw that can be fixed by the heroine? Why do we have to have that when the heroine has to be emotionally vulnerable? Why is that? Because not all women are emotionally vulnerable, but that is what sells. And that's, that's kind of, you know, I... I, I so... That has kind of bummed me out in the romance world, quite honestly. But I do have a piece of hope and that on Wattpad, where there are younger readers and where there are international readers, they love my newspaper publisher. In fact, one girl from Kenya who was a teenager said, I love that your heroines have a dream. They love that they are career women. They love, like, I always joke, like, my heroines get three things at the end of the book. They get orgasms, they get the man, they get a puppy. Okay, four things. They get orgasms, <laughs> they get a man, and a, puppy. a puppy, and their dream job. Like, though, all of my heroines get all of those things. So maybe this is changing with the younger generation. I hope. Back to what I was saying about the changing. I I think it's true. You know what's interesting, though? And I want to touch on this, and then I want to talk about sex. So, um... (laughs) That was out loud. Is I think that you have a choice in writing. So this is something uh, me and our... uh, You know, doing the publishing and stuff like that. We were talking about, you know, the types of books that you need to put out there that are cookie cutter. And the thing about them is, you know, and that could be your thing. Like you write, you know, um, a story of a a woman baker and she finds all these different men along the way and each one is a different dessert topic, right? Okay, I just made up something. Somebody's going to take this, make millions of dollars. It is a bestseller. But you do that and every different guy she has in a different book is a different dessert of some kind and she wraps that all up. But there is no depth to what... um, Jam said, there is nothing there. Be like you're literally doing it because it's it's foofy and it's whipped mm-hmm. creamy, and then you're just eating it. And you can make a lot of money if you're as a writer or doing that. We could get into the whole social commentary of does that hurt our society or not? But the fact of the matter is, vampire romance, for instance, ever since Twilight, man, everybody wants to be dating a vampire or a werewolf of some kind. They're in a sexy phase. They're in a sexy phase. I think vampires are coming back. They totally. Yeah. They, I have a vampire idea, but I hesitate on whether to write it. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. I've about been thinking vampires. about writing a, a vampire, like a Sex in the City vampires for Wattpad. Oh, you should absolutely so do one, that. So here's my thought one of them is a journalist. One, it's a four. It's four women, and they're all vampires. One of them's a journalist. One of them's a realtor. One of them is a plastic surgeon, and one of them is a lawyer. I, I think that's this. perfect. You should do <laughs> that. <wonderful>. Absolutely. <laughs> but see, that would sell. But that's my point. Like you write something know. like that, you can go into the like the constant craving where you're going into the newspaper where you put a whole layer that a lot of these books do not have as that's a true. layer, like. Nobody gives a shit about the baker and whether or not she's making her baking shop thrive or whatever, because obviously the hero or something, even if she's like, I'm going to do it myself, he secretly helps her somehow and does a carnival of cupcakes. Mr. Darcy. Yeah, Mr. Darcy. (laughs) Like, that will sell. But what I say to a lot of authors that are trying to do the difference between I want to write and I want to write as a job, sometimes when you do a job, 
You don't get to enjoy every part. I call it making tacos. I have an entire analogy. Cause when I, well, because when I worked at Taco Bell, they don't want you to invent a new... This was a long time ago. But they don't want to, you to invent a fucking taco. Like They tell you how much meat they have a scoop, how much lettuce, how much cheese. The wrapper, nobody notices this, actually shows you how to wrap the fucking taco and how to put it in the bag. Like They have a diagram of how many tacos and how the burritos and which goes where... They I want think you to make fucking tacos. You're right. You're 100% right. And But the thing is, there have been times when I, and I joke about this, sometimes in a writing group that I'm in, I always say like, okay, I'm going to write a small town romance that's going to sell and it's going to have tropes and it's going to be cozy. And then I say, also me, the hero looks like Henry Rollin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Like, and, and so like this, this is a really good example. So this Paradise Beach was supposed to be my small town family. They own a resort. Like there's brothers and everybody's. But the dad is a former punk rock guy named Angus. Yeah. And he's kind of cranky and he's tattooed. He has a black flag tattoo. Like, there just went the mainstream right there. Yes and no. I think you still have mainstream. <laughs> but did you put one of your underliers? And I think the difference, too, is you have done journalism that has a, a, a really big story. You're not writing about the local bar that opened I and have, stuff. though, written about the bar. I have well, been that journalist. Believe, but you've also been the journalist that writes about these horrific stories that have lots of layers yeah. to them and nothing is ever what it appears to be when we see the two second news clip of something but that's not what sells in fiction really exactly. in genre fiction exactly. and, and maybe i'm like a failed literary fiction writer but i'm not ever going to be a literary fiction writer because i don't have an F mfa i'm not going to go get one you don't need and one. well in order to be really in order to really you, sell you to, just need to be dead for 50 years and right. people will be like this tomorrow lush person was really onto something you know back in the early 2000s that's all you need is right. time right it's well, literary romance but can i just say as a reader when i like i have kindle unlimited and i read a lot of trash basically mm -hmm. i don't remember the author's names the one that when i get one where there is some sort of social commentary or depth i remember that person's name and i read the rest of them otherwise it's just like i had a taco today right it's not the you know i remember where i got that taco and i'm gonna go back and you know try that whole menu kindle so. unlimited is a really interesting discussion yeah. and i was in kindle unlimited last year and i ended up getting out of it for this series mm -hmm. um but it's it, I'm not sure. In some ways, it's done wonderful things for the self-publishing industry, and in other ways, it's just been a complete disaster. Mm -hmm. um, the amount of scammers and internet marketers that have taken over the titles there is astronomical. Mm -hmm. We're going back to your ghostwriting thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, but then that that's my whole point. We need to talk about sex here in a minute. But that's my whole point of talk going... Do you do this for a living and do you make some tacos while writing the stuff you want to write or do you do you want to write the stuff you want to write and work on it? Like I love that you're writing mysteries because I think that's that's a whole different ball game yeah. than romance erotica which is a numbers game. Romance right. erotica is also a numbers game. Right. So how many you write it's about right. But my point is is that you can say that you can set out to just make the tacos. Like there was one point where I said, all right, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try writing to market and I'm going to write a reverse harem novel. Like reverse harem is like the big hot new trend. So basically for people that don't know, it's a polyamorous trope with one woman and multiple men. Um, so I tried to write that and it ended up being like some cinnamon roll dudes who were like, oh yeah, um, 
we'll give you a foot rub. One of us will give you a foot rub while the other of us have sex with you. It's like, it was just like no conflict. And it was just, it ended up just being like this sort of happy, like sexy thing. And it sold thing. one billion actually, copies. Actually, actually, you know what? Actually, actually, it, it did sell really That's good. what I'm saying. And it had a really bad cover, but it was, but like... People really like it. Was like it was just like a bunch of guys being like soup. Like some of them were cowboys, some of them were firefighters. But it was like being really kind to one woman. There was like a mild conflict, but it was like they were short, and it was just like okay, we're gonna just be really kind. And but see, that's the point. What you did is you made tacos. You started doing books, that sort could- of. But it didn't. But it didn't sell like the the big reverse harem, which like right now the trend in reverse harem, which I don't even understand. I don't read. I can't. I can't deal with is bully reverse harem i can't the bully romance trope is like maybe you can explain a little more i've seen some of them just because of what what pops up on what my, is my a bully romance a trope bully romance is i i was terrible to you um ed i'm still gonna be terrible to you but then when we're alone occasionally i'll be really nice to you and we'll have sex and we'll have sex yeah and all my friends will have sex with you too because really you're into being humiliated and it that's sounds what horrific to me yeah it's, i'm sorry it's, i know i'm not supposed to say like no, anything not, nasty can... about other writers but i just find that i say nasty like, shit about writers all the time but see like ahead. i find that to be just like a reflection of like some we're like working through our trauma of like the current situation in our country and that's just like a manifestation of it It and that's all I'll say politically because I can't say more because of my day job but I just find that to be like wow I know I agree with you but I will say this if you continue down your making tacos path (laughs) Because I'm quite sure you don't have 20 like books and they're out. not good. It is selling out, but it's also like, what do you do? Because you sell out if you're working at a job that you don't like doing. You both happen to like the jobs you're doing. But if you don't like doing your job, say I'm somebody and I want to be a romance writer and I happen to work at a boring office job that is just sucking the soul out of me. Is it bad? And this is a whole debate and I wanted to talk about sex, but I'm just saying that you <laughs> we'll can get there. <laughs> yeah. You can look at Slow it burn. many different ways as an author as to what does the end result you oh, want to do. Sure. I mean, that was part of, I mean, I'll be honest. That was part of the reason why I started writing romance because as a journalist, I know that at any point I might not have a job because that's the reality of my profession. Like I have a pretty secure job. I work for a really wonderful company. I'm in a union. Those are all great things. However, am I going to have my job in five years? Probably. Maybe not, because it's journalism. Like, anything could happen in journalism. Certainly, I've known dozens of people who are laid off. So that romance initially was kind of my plan B. Like, do I think that if I suddenly lose my job tomorrow that I couldn't write, I couldn't make the tacos with reverse harem? Yeah, I could. I probably could write to market and crank out a lot of books. It's not what I particularly want to do. Could it, Would it be preferable to... Another job, like, you know, as a 50-year-old woman, what else am I going to do as a laid-off media worker? Um, nothing. Yeah, no, exactly. Or go get a nine-to-five job where I don't you're even think doing I'm marketing content. Like, honestly, I don't even think I'm qualified at my age and in my profession. Like, like it, during my sabbatical, this is like a horrible and embarrassing, like revelation. During my sabbatical, I was like, all right, so what if I really just quit and wrote? Like, what if I got a part-time job and just quit and wrote? And so I applied to be like one of those shoppers at public, like a shopper, like that gets the groceries. Instacart? Yeah, something like that, but not that particular one. They didn't even call me back. Like I'm not even qualified. After 30 years in journalism, I'm not even qualified to be like a shopper. Like how humbling was that? 
I'm just saying there are many things you could do hypothetically. Like I also applied for retail. I used to do retail in college. Not a call back. I'm like, well, I guess no. But then that's for me. when you, when you do stuff like you go find a cute coffee shop in your area and you get a job there. You work at Starbucks. You work at Starbucks. Um, I think you can, but that that's that whole debate of also integrity wise. Where are you okay with it? Like you know, reverse harem versus like kind of the books we were talking about at the break where urban fantasy sex books where you're sleeping with Sasquatch and then, you know, the New Jersey devil, that's funny. And if you can get into doing something like that and you can sell it, then you're great. If you cannot get into it and you don't actually want to kind of like the bullying thing, like I would never right. write a bully thing ever. Like right. I just wouldn't, as much as I'm willing to write, I'll kill people. I will kill so many people in my books, but I wouldn't do that. It's I think that wherever your line is, it also has to be true, but that's true of any job that we take. Sure. The moment absolutely. you cross a line where your integrity is gone, it definitely yeah. puts into question whatever you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So on that very serious note, I want to talk about sex. Okay. So let's let's talk about because you write some really nice sex scenes. So <laughs> what it you know, let's talk about the first time you wrote a sex scene. What was that like? Did the person have three arms? That happens a lot of times. <laughs> they're grabbing a this, they're grabbing a that, and they're grabbing this other thing, and you're like, Do Wait. they have a tail? Do they have a prehensile tail? What um, is happening? <laughs> well, no, it was definitely for hot shade. And um I actually messed up the sex in that book. <laughs> And here's why. Because in a traditional romance, in most traditional romances, the sex scene comes at 50%. Mm -hmm. Like the actual penis in vagina comes at 50%. And that book did not abide by that. It was very much a slow burn. And that made things a lot harder. And I think it made readers a lot more confused because some of them said, why was it so spicy and yet they didn't, like, why did she wait to have sex? And I thought that would be a great thing to do. But really... The according readers were like, hello. But we, according to genre fiction, that is not a great thing to we, do. We would like and that. I have not ever done it since. So when you're writing your first sex scene, though, since we all had to wait for it, um, when you're writing your first sex scene, what was that like? Because I I met a lot of authors that are really um, good with it. They can just sit there. And then I met other authors who get horribly embarrassed while they're doing it. No. So where were... Where were you? Where was your... I was not embarrassed. You weren't embarrassed? No, did, no. Did you knew, know exactly what you wanted the sex scene to be? Like I did, yeah. I mean, all of the sex, the the lead up to the sex, the sexy scenes, and because there's a lot of like foreplay in that book, um, the lead up to that, like I knew what, where, when I wanted. The, this, I don't know how far along, so I don't want to... Not yet, but I, I imagine it's coming soon. Yeah, I it actually... Not exactly when you're thinking, possibly apparently. Not, possibly not. Um, <laughs> I knew that I wanted the main reveal of that book to be tied into sex. So it had to be fairly late in the book. It's probably around 75% in the book. I like that, that she kind of puts him off and she keeps asking, like, "Do you, I'm sorry, I don't want to be a tease. And then after she leaves, after they have this long date, he has a moment where he's like, God, like, am I a man whore? Is there something? Do I have a double standard? Like, she just asked him four questions, and he spends the rest of the night going, wait, how am I living my life? I'm judging all these American women for being super easy, but I sleep with everyone. So right. She I kind of makes that. him be, like, take stock of himself, mm -hmm. you know, because he, I mean, he kind of isn't the most sympathetic character in some ways either. He's kind of the stereotypical mm -hmm. Italian romance hero man whore. Oh, I wanted to ask you about that. Do you speak Italian? Um, 
so my husband is Italian. My husband is from Italy. I don't speak Italian. I mean, I speak a little Italian. I understand. I speak more Spanish. I understand a lot of Spanish. Um, I can interview in Spanish, but I know enough Italian to know when my in-laws are talking about me. So I'm, does that I'm okay. happen frequently? It does. Yeah, okay. like I can tell when they're like on speakerphone when they're like when they're talking about me. So I, I I'm and I, I'm we watch a lot of um, Marco and I watch a lot of Italian and Spanish like telenovelas and dramas. No, oh, that's good. I've met your husband. He is amazing and he is wonderful. <laughs> My husband, I can I just say, and this needs to be said. So writers, you know, a lot of people say like, how do you do everything? How do you do journalism and do all your writing and do all of this? Well, it's because I have a husband who cleans, takes the dogs out, fixes the cars, does literally vacuums every day. I don't do, I cook dinner and that's all I do. I don't do anything but work. So he has, I mean, he does not have a job like I do during the day. So he works from home and he restores dirt bikes. But when people say, you know, they're so getting you have all this. a bad boy husband. Yes. Oh, I like that. I didn't know he restored dirt bikes. Yes. Ooh, I've learned something. So when, but he, I mean, he, you know, scrubs the toilet every day. He keeps the place running. And I think that when writers say like, you know, they're just sort of doing it and making it seem so easy. Somebody is kind of giving them help in certain ways, either financial or time-wise. And I have a lot of help time-wise. That is really awesome. awesome. Okay. So we're near the end of this particular podcast. Tell us, um, Shameless Self-Promotion, how do we find you? You can find me on my website at TamaraLush.com, T-A-M-A-R-A-L-U-S-H.com. Or uh, you can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Wonderful. It was amazing having you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, J.M. Paquette, for subbing for Mr. Austin Scott Collins when he couldn't be here. We are drinking with authors. If you ever want to reach us, you can find us on all social media, or you can email us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Bye.